ain't here for your enjoyment I'm rapping for these brothers who living in unemployment Spill Henny to fill the void One penny can heal your voice And a dollar and a dream ain't everything it seems Seek the clothes, don't tell the story of the scenes And everything I'm spitting It ain't everything I've written or everything that I'm thinking, dog. You know that ain't important, dog. You know that I was drinking. It don't make sense in the morning and the rest is out of reach. Like the knowledge of Confucius. If I got it, then I probably wouldn't even have to do this. I would give them all this music. The rest is pretty useless. Trigonometry in high school. When the fuck am I gonna use this? Body ain't in line with my mind, so I twisted and nail and show discipline around. Not in an anomaly, it happened every time. Said that you can make it from the bottom, all you gotta do is climb I'm walking double negative, oxymoron, double entendre and all that happens Hello, it's Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation Boston hip-hop artist Cliff Notes is another guest we have been trying to get on ATB for a long time He is a busy, busy guy Writing, composing, teaching at Berklee College of Music and Emerson College Filming, sculpting, painting and according to WBUR in Boston, generally being one of the Boston arts community's busiest multi-hyphenates, which is an awesome word, and I'm not sure what it means, but I think I want to also be a multi-hyphenate. Anyways, Cliff also founded the media production company Hipstery, released a fantastic album last fall called Why the Wild Things Are, and was not too long ago named 2019 Boston Magazine's Best Musician. So as I said, Cliff is a busy guy, and we had a great time chatting on the phone while a thunderstorm raged in the distance. So here is our conversation with Cliff Notes, recorded virtually in Boston, Massachusetts. Cliff, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. So, hey, hey, Cliff, this is Ronnie. Nice to meet you, man. Hey, Ronnie. Um, where are you calling from? Yeah, I'm in Austin right now. Did you get just get hit by that? Um, get the hit thunderstorms. Thunderstorm, yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna grill today. Well, it looks like it's all over those planes. Yeah, it's looking pretty dark out there. Yeah, I have I have a Jeep, and I had to pull over on the highway to, to put my roof on. How are you doing on your end? I'm doing okay. It's been. Um, we stopped recording episodes for a while. Once we got through May, I was ready to start kicking it up again. We did the, well, you know, that we did the weekend music festivals online on Facebook Live. Yeah. And that, yeah, that went really well. And um, and then I think everyone got kind of burnt out on those. So we stopped doing that and I was ready and I was ready to start. So, you know, can you, can you kind of tell us what you were doing before COVID hit and did COVID wreck all your plans to uh, take over the world there? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> more of the forward-facing stuff. I mean, I had I had a really stellar spring lined up uh, in terms of just, like, shows and, and touring and some really dope shows I was very looking forward to that just kind of all just crumbled in, like, the span of, like, a week. I mean, I, I think my art isn't solely based on my live performances, and that works the same financially. Yeah. So it didn't necessarily crush. I mean, it, it had me stressed out because I was like, where is all this money that I was expecting going to come from? Yeah. Uh, but it just made me refocus on, on, on different things. I already do the whole month of November off just to like not do shows. I'm pretty low key. I don't go to shows that often unless I'm not out in public as often. So when I'm not doing shows, I'm not like entirely crushed by it. 
but the financial part of it was a little stressful for a bit. You 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 teach at uh, at Berkeley. You're a professor there. Yeah, so I actually teach at Berkeley and I teach at Emerson. Um, at Emerson. I, I do some, yeah, and I do some guest lectures over at MIT too. Oh, wow. uh, and all those schools kind of reacted really fast in terms of just like moving everything to Zoom, which was like really dope in the long run. I was like, I could have, I could have been running all my classes from Zoom. Yeah, I know. Time. Everyone was discovering that. Yeah, I go to Northeastern yeah. and I'm getting my master's there, and uh, we ended up right. doing everything in Zoom, and it you know worked fine. What uh, what program are you at? In I'm in the history. Pro I'm in the history program there. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I got I got my master's over at Northeastern too. And what was your master's in there? Uh, digital media. When did you get your master's there? What was that 2017? Okay. About three years ago. It was, it's a really dope place. Um, it is. I'm hoping one day they ask me to teach a class there. I really want to teach a film class, and I feel like Northeastern would be cool for that. But we'll see. Yeah, I don't know what the I don't know their film uh, department. Do they have a film department? I guess they must, right? If they have digital media. I, I think it's more just I want to teach a film class. I don't even oh, know. Okay. If they, <laughs> I don't even know if they have a film program at all. That's all right. You can start one. Yeah, that'd be dope. Was it difficult to push yourself into the Berkeley online Zoom classes with the with the kids? Was that uh, was that disconnect of being not being in the same room? Was that was that difficult to overcome? Uh, no, not really. I teach some songwriting classes. A lot of other teachers had a lot of difficult, like for performance classes or like productions in studio classes. Those were, I know that they were having some troubles, but I think with songwriting, yeah. everything's pretty digital already. So it, it was, it was kind of easy. The, the biggest fall off was um, the lack of connection or the lack of community or feeling like see someone right next to you. But I think we still managed to create some type of connection, which was cool. So it was still a good class. I'm so excited to, to connect with you on the line, though. This, this is ridiculous. Someday we got to see each other in person. And I've been loving your work over the years and your your, your teaching and your poetry and, and your artwork. And uh, uh, I just discovered the, the cinematographer slash uh, director that you, that you are. And I, I want to learn more about that, too. And the so far stuff has been great. So... Uh, Love to Thank love you. to hear more. I'm glad to be here. I think it's been like a year in the making trying to do something yeah. with the Boba Fett. <laughs> so it I'm is. glad that this is happening. That tends to happen. You know, people get caught up and then they're like, well, maybe I'll wait until I get my album out. And and then, uh, then there's the like a virus that takes over the world, yeah. which which always seems to happen every few years. You are getting, you you know, you feel, you're missing that uh, connection in that in-room connect, human being connection with your classes how are you what about with your just with your music has that been uh tough to kind of get get a hold of i am usually a pretty solace person like uh, i'm like 90 percent of the time alone so like my, the first few months of 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 covid i was just like a workhorse i was like re recording producing like three to five songs a day every day for like two three months straight and then maybe within the last couple of weeks, I like stopped and I was like, how the hell do I make music? I don't remember how to do this anymore. Um, and it's kind of just been stagnant like that for the last couple of weeks. But uh, what was it? Two days ago, it was um, my friend Chris Sheehan from uh, Still Gold. It was his birthday. It was his birthday like yesterday. Um, and we had like a little social distance out in the parking lot of the bridge sound stage. Uh, just and it was like the first time like I just got to be around people, um, 
and like uh like they were playing music out of Chris's car, like some new stuff that they're working on. And like immediately it was like, Oh, okay, that's how I make music. So I think um being like getting that refresher and just like being around other creatives was something I kind of took for granted because I'm so used to creating on my own all the time. So I'm I'm looking to figure out how to keep a balance with that as the world continues to shut down. But at the moment yeah. have a bit of inspiration to live off of from from two days ago. Well there's nothing like seeing the people that you sort of grow up with in a sense that yeah. remind you it, it's not just seeing them on a zoom or hearing their voices uh there's i think that you know humans were just not wired to do this it's very uh exhausting i, I i've been very solitary myself lately and it's been um you know it's kind of you don't realize that you miss that human connection until you haven't had it for so long that yeah. oh wow this is what I'm craving it's very interesting um, especially being kind of a solo a solitary person you know ironically at the same time while you had while we had this COVID you know it's it's an awful thing because people are dying and, and and not seeing each other but at the same time you have this the horrible murder of George Floyd and the mm-hmm. and the protests that came out of that that really kind of are is reconnecting us in a in a different way. You know, I, I've asked a few people this, that this these protests seem to be different from anything that certainly I've either paid attention to or witnessed myself. You know, they're continuing, they're, they don't seem to be losing steam. Or I want to get kind of your thoughts on, on what's been happening over the last month with these protests and, and how they've been affecting you. Well, it's interesting, right? Especially in the context of what we were just talking about. I think when when you add in the fact that like people have not been around other people for so long and the fact that like just being outside in large crowds is literally like risking your life. You could easily make the the case that like being at a protest even before this was risking your life, but now these people are so passionate uh that they're willing to literally risk their lives in so many different ways. Um out it, it speaks much larger volumes. And then you see so much more camaraderie because it's like, I haven't seen this person in three months. Uh, and now we're now we're finally able to connect, unfortunately, under these circumstances. So I think that that's a big reason why these things are so prevalent and consistent. And I also think that these fights have constantly been going on uh, and have never lost the steam, even though, but the thing that's making it seem like it's not losing steam is because there's not much other news to cover it's the headline of everything i mean there's a lot of stuff other going on uh, going on for sure but in comparison when you're talking about a country on lockdown this is one of the hottest like most important things uh, because of the lack of camaraderie or the lack of uh, people being outside Mm. so it's something that's been boiling up for for years though but i i know friends that have been to protests that but the amount of protests that you can't count on one hand in their lifetime who are mm-hmm. under the age of 25. Like these, I've seen these same protests back in 2012 when Tamir Rice died. There were so many other things and it was just so much easier to forget about. Well, I think that that is, I, I want to echo what you said is it's the, the camaraderie that the movement has done for some people, both white, black, and brown. What is very telling is um, 
like you said, the timing of this and the and the fact that it was post pandemic, it, it's almost as if things happened for a. I should say I mean, it's almost as if things happened for a reason in a very weird way. I mean, I mean, I have my theories as to how I think a lot of this isn't by accident, but I think that's a much larger larger conversation. I definitely think that the system and the structure in the world that we live in, or the America that we live in allowed for this to happen and it was going to happen inevitably. Um, the timing with it, with COVID is, I think it'd be silly to think that this was all coincidence, mm. like a complete, complete entire coincidence. Well, what I think from, you know, I, I work in medicine and, and a big part of my, my last few months has been actually working in, in COVID hospitalizations and, and folks that have actually become sick. And as you as you well know, about 80% of people that have been sick have actually been African-American and other uh, Hispanic mm -hmm. folks. This is this social, medical, financial, uh, social justice mosh pit. It's a connection of everything at the same time. So I, I know what you mean. What I think is always telling is that when someone or, or, or artists have a genuine appreciation and and experience in creating works that are for the people and to have you know to sort of educate the uh injustices in the world when you do it before something like this with like when the sidewalk ends with why the wild things are and other works that you've created over the years your perspective to me is very important because yes the world is waking up in a, in a different way now than ever before but there's been years and years of this type of art meets social justice movement. Um, I know yeah. we're throwing a lot at you in that one question, but I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that as uh, someone that's been putting your heart and soul into this idea for a, a while. Yeah, uh, I think it's, it's, it's definitely interesting because like a very small like audio thing within When the Sidewalk Ends, after Fright Night, the second song on it, you could hear like this little transi transition from like going out of fright night and like focus system the focus, all that stuff and then you hear somebody like walking away from that and, and and my idea with that was it's just like this person who has been at this protest all day is deciding to just leave and get in their car and and so like i've been like i've been thinking in the mind of that for a while and for me i think that's why i have to be careful especially nowadays uh especially these past couple of months i've been i've had to be really careful with how much I am putting into things uh, because it can get really easy for me to get really burnt out because I'm just like, I need to go all in right now and just like do everything I can now. And I, and I did that. I did that a couple of times so far this, uh, this COVID pandemic time. And, and the only reason why I say that is because I, I need to recognize that like, I, I'm probably better in the long run. I'm probably more useful in the long run than I am trying to do these short bursts, especially considering that I've been trying to, do this like there's a larger plan and for to a certain extent if i'm going to be successful at it and not throw it all away i, I need to be somewhat patient and patient but at the same time figure out a way to be productive while while being that patient hey i just touched down in the matrix don't like real shit then you're probably gonna hate this Got you summoning a god, but know you've been an atheist. 
Heard you smile cause it felt dope Heard you made it cause you had hope Heard you been down cause the world sucks Getting tired of people telling you to hang tough It's great you gave a fuck today Cause I just gave my fucks away Good riddance, good riddance, good riddance, good riddance, good riddance, good riddance I got rid of all my fucks today So I spend a lot of time learning I spend a lot of time researching. I spend a lot of time studying. So I've studied more and read more books now than I was in grad school and undergrad. I just would be an idiot to think that I know everything. And if I'm building this platform, I have an opportunity to do something with that. I've been grateful to have my name and, and some notable press in, in the last couple of years. And because I've built this mission statement of trying to offer a platform for marginalized voices for stories to be heard told i need to do it in a responsible way the mosh pit that ron was referring to it's also a mosh pit of of the election coming up this has got books written all over there's gonna be so many books written about this time it's gonna be ridiculous but it feels like 100 percent yeah covid is gonna be a bolded word in our in our children's history one of the storylines or one of the the strings that you kind of pull and a lot of your music, especially with Where the Wild Things Are, the article that I read about you was interesting that the what, Where the Wild Things Are was banned by parents and teachers during the 1960s because of the way it portrayed anger and rebellion in children. Um, mm-hmm. And you were quoted as saying, this is great. That's the story of black people in anger. I mean, it's all kind of coming to a head right now. Yeah. So I agree. I agree. It's almost, it almost just seems that this was meant to happen. I just wanted to add to that, that, uh, that idea of like the story of, of black folks. I think I've been studying one of the most like prominent stories of like, we don't necessarily want to hear about this black pain or like, this is something that isn't really accepted was I think about Marvin Gaye's what's going on and mm-hmm. how Barry Gordy and like in Motown didn't want, like they didn't like the record. They hated it. They didn't put any support behind it. It was it was almost shelved because it's not what Motown, Motown stood for. It was like Motown was expected to give this happy, like love specific kind of sound. And, and Marvin Gaye's like, nah, man, Vietnam is happening. The world is messed up. Like we need to talk about this. And that's like Marv, like what's going on was like was like where the wild things are. It, it, you know, luckily it got out, and now we're able to celebrate it. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it, it was just in that new Spike Lee movie. Yeah, so it was in but, just yeah. uh, Defy Bloods. And that was exactly why he put that in, because uh, it was for the times, but it was also a testament of there are blacks fighting across the world right now and maybe signing up for something to fight for American freedom. But at the same time, in their own streets and neighborhoods, they're still trying to find freedom and equality on their, in their own soil, which is very palpable and very... Yeah, we've come farther, but these last couple months tell us tell us that we're needless to say have a lot a lot of ways to go. This um, has happened time and time again, and, and yeah. I think I'm naming these examples because like they're popular culture examples. But like the same thing happened when you watch The Watchmen, and there's that there's a time where the the black soldiers are in Germany, and like they have these letters written to them and like, why are you fighting for the German people? It's just, it's just a continued cycle. We keep getting that same question. As Chuck, you was just, as Chuck was just saying, you know, sorry, did you hear that thunder? 
Yeah. Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> There's a lot of chatter going around that reminds me of when Chuck said that COVID is, is exhausting. What's that balance of the fact that this conversation and racism in America um, needs to happen and needs to continue and needs to get better and the education needs to just get to that next level and there's something working here and something we, we hope is working, we hope. Um, but what's the balance of that with exhaustion, with someone of color especially? Because, you know, I hear people on the radio and I've read articles of just people that say, well, it's really the, the white population needs to step up and, and maybe is stepping up more than it was. But it, it's, it's like there's this exhaustion of people, of African-Americans in particular, that feel like, okay, I'm just raising my hand way too much and I, I'm sick of talking about it. What mm -hmm. kind of balance do you, do you think and, and maybe how it reflects in, in art as well? Well, I think what I'm learning about myself and like my, what I feel like my purpose here in this world is, is that I am the worst person to ask about keeping a balance um, because only because like my two albums are about the times where I lost balance. Um, but I think that that's important because a lot of us lose balance and we don't even recognize that we're losing balance. I think being able to portray that and like talk about these things and talk about where I am with my mental health and where I've been is important because if we're not even mentally able or mentally stable, then how are we going to make any change? Um, so I think that that's how I try to see myself. Well, it's not like I'm trying to purposely push myself off balance, but at least for the first two albums uh, has been me trying to figure out what that balance is and, and mm. losing it and not getting it. Does um, the album and the music help you find that balance with the creative process and then releasing it to the public? I think the, the Why the Wild Things Are more than When the Sidewalk Ends. I think when the sidewalk ends, looking back retroactively, was not irresponsible, but it was definitely a more reckless. I'm in it, and definitely an unhealthy, like exhibition of that. But I think having gone through that type of toxicity um, allowed me to really refocus and try and figure out how to make it more productive, as opposed to this like outward rage. And uh, why the wild things are was 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 that attempt at that it's not a perfect execution of it. it and i think that's one thing that i'm learning as i'm working on new projects is that i i started i started the journey but i haven't like mastered it late night thinking world domination finger to my temple little malcolm in the making huey p dot boondocks and meditation pump my rebox rosas medication at the church dog chasing them skirts Knew where the hose at getting naked right in the park you never know that couple cats strung out on pills happy up prozac mom and pop struggle with bills we never show that but i got the picture i saw it cleared in kodak looking at the huxtables thinking i could be theo looking at the future according to miss cleo crushing alley barriers probably cause she a leo jamaican not my herbs but my niggas speaking creole Feel like Homer Simpson, now my mind's on dope Plus it's nuts how I'm going, dodging three times four I'ma grow sex seed in the light one more curse Got 
gotta say your day up. Pops keep rolling because these bills keep We don't mean to be all deep on you this whole, this whole conversation. We're going to lighten it up eventually, I promise you. But um, No, I'm used to living here. <laughs> okay, good, good. Mental health in America is, it feels like to me before it was like the elephant in the room that no one would kind of, it was there and no one wanted to talk about it. And now more and more people who I notice on socials are like, they're struggling being alone for so long. They're struggling with, you know, no matter the financial and, the, and the, whether it be with physical sickness or losing a family member, which I know that that you did not too long ago. You know, that mm-hmm. that fight with depression and loneliness and, and whatever kind of issue that people have. As musicians, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you kind of talked about it being a release. So right after your brother's funeral, you opened for mm-hmm. for ja, uh, ja Rule, right? Um, yeah, same day. Yeah, and you and you realized that the song, a lot of the songs were about your brother. So yeah. I don't know. Is, is there is there an escape? Is there a release for you, or do you find that does it does it add on to the pressure for you when you're dealing with your own mental health? Is there a volume level there for you for that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's a, that's it's it's a really short timeline. Uh, but my brother passed away uh, December, like late December of 2018, and uh, we buried him in, in, in early January, which is where I had that Ja Rule show. In that time period, I think when the sidewalk ends was about a year, a little over a year old, um, and I had just been like on the high of just performing that record over and over, even though I knew what it was about and I learned, like I, I created a lot of that with him. Um, and it was about like his journey and like our journey together through that. My brother was a uh, bipolar. He struggled with that. And that was a large part of the reason why he had passed away. But I think it was in that moment. It was, it was like in that epiphany moment, especially performing in front of whatever that sold out House of Blues show is like 3000 people and realize I'm like, oh, wow. I don't know if this is like, I don't know if I can keep doing this specific thing for a year, not like whatever amount of time. And that's when I really was like, all right, I need to make this next, I need to like speak this into existence. I need to like speak happiness into exi- existence. But, and then uh, the song was happy, right? Yeah, that's the first single of the album. Um, yeah, right. That was a problem though, was like, I had grown up with uh, music being, or, and even performing, even as a child, that being the release, that being, the, that being my release. But now that this release had been like refunneled into like this, really emotional like emotionally exhausting thing it was the first time i realized like whoa i gotta i gotta revisit some other things and and, like remember how to release in other ways which is where i started digging back into my film my film background and my art background we worked in the gallery for uh this past january and just like really looking for other ways to kind of funnel my emotions to different things. Does it come to you at random times as far as how you want to express yourself, whether it's in spoken word or melodic or visual arts? I never thought about it like that. I think, I think usually it's just like an idea. I'll think of an entire, like a concept of something. And then from that point, it's like, what needs to fit into this concept. And then from there, I'm like, all right, I need to make a couple of films. I need to make these art pieces, blah, blah, blah. It just, then it becomes something. So it becomes more of like a task list of, of things. Mm. And then within that, it's like, what makes the most sense or like what would even, like what would be fun to do? Like, And then that's when I get exciting because then I can start digging into things that I may not have tried before. 
like for the gallery this past January was like some of the first time I really worked in sculpture. That was a really fun thing. You know, it's it's interesting. I did a uh, I did a paper not too long ago on, on "Do the Right Thing" by Spike Lee. I saw it when it came out in nineteen eighty nine. It's like eighty six or something, or yeah, eighty nine. A long time ago, and I'd seen it a few times then, but it had been maybe I don't know fifteen years since I'd seen it. Music is always a big part of Spike Lee's joints, so to speak. Um, his uh, huge his movies. And he created like his own film scoring genre. Yeah. And I really noticed it in watching The Five Bloods. He he did put in what's going on, as well as like some orchestral undertone that he puts in a lot of his movies. I know it's mm-hmm. just very interesting how he interweaves music into the stories. You know, you did the movie short, and I'm gonna Ron, you you say the name of the movie because I, I butchered it before. <laughs> Cliff, what does he need to say? Yeah, I knew you'd know what he's gonna say. Vitiligo. He said like vitiligo. Yeah, or most something. people mess it up. Yeah, if someone says the word, I know the word, but when I sought to read it, it, it didn't register in my brain about what that was until I... Anyways, when you're doing those films, are you thinking musically? Are you thinking visually? Is it a mix of the two? Like, like what do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I definitely think everything in the same vein. I write my music like it's a film. I write my films like it's music. It just all works in the same way. A lot of the same theories and practices that I use. A lot of it is around narrative too. And like narrative and storytelling is something that is timeless. Like we understand how to tell a story. Um, and, and like once you can get to like the basics of storytelling, I feel like you can connect that to every, every kind of art. But when I'm thinking about an album, especially like when I'm creating a whole entire album, I'm thinking about uh, like how it looks visually. Like I, I've always been a huge fan of like movie scores and like like how they fit. Like I'm always thinking about like what, like is this in the background of the scene? Like what is happening? Like or is this like a musical? I, I grew up a theater kid. Uh, like I sung in a bunch of musicals growing up, so I, I've understood those worlds. But because they've all been like in in my brain and like worked at the same time and in, in different parts of my life throughout my life that's always been seen as almost the same thing to me it reminds me of the uh the concept of seeing colors and seeing shapes when you listen to music i'm forgetting what that is now oh synesthesia synesthesia yeah. exactly where a lot of very creative people that happens naturally wanted yeah, I, to have like I happen a, to be one of those people <laughs> yeah it doesn't surprise me if if you had kind of like your dream job, would it be in film or theater or music if you could actually have to choose a bucket? I feel like if I had to choose, it would be film only because I feel like film is one of the few art forms that contains every other art form. You can have literally every other art form inside of a film. Do you I think te- about Prince and how he did a uh, Batman? He did what? He did Batman. Prince? He did Batman. I did not know that. Yeah. I'm just thinking Purple Rain. Oh, wow. The the Tim Burton one, I think. The first one, I think, right? W- one of the... Yeah, exactly. Do you te- When you're teaching hip-hop at Berkeley, do you teach mm-hmm. visually? Is Do you use that kind well, of um, I, angle? Yeah, in, a, in different ways. I mean, I use a lot of like visual prompts and videos in my classes. A lot of that stuff exists already. Like Genius, which is like this online YouTube channel, they do like really good lyric breakdowns, which have like really good visuals and stuff. But then on top of that, like I also get back into te- like, I, I definitely have 
have a whole day talking about three act structure and, and like talking about how it how it's in film and then making that connection to music and being able to tell a story through a song um whether it's like abstract or like you have three verses and like how do those three verses kind of end up being structured how do you use those to tell the story this as chuck said this is uh atb goes deep so i'm going to continue on that theme one more time but let's do it you know i didn't want to uh forget the following and I, with your bur interview and some of the stuff and that came around when the sidewalk ends you know talk about synesthesia i mean i, I when i look at the cover of that black and white shell silverstein thing it's like my childhood like mm -hmm. and i still read it to my kids mm -hmm. it, there's something like very uh, evergreen and just always about that yeah i'm visualizing the the young is it a young black girl or boy that's at the very edge is that a boy or a girl mm -hmm. i can't remember i think that it's purposely indistinguishable so i'm picturing that person and i'm thinking uh about the disparities of not only mental illness is such a stigma that as chuck said things are much better than it used to be 10 20 30 years ago and people are opening up about them and their families and their needs because it shouldn't be called mental health i think it's just called health a hundred percent but i also know that there is a disparity of health care in this country for for blacks and and uh and latina or latinx folks and there's a huge disparity when it comes to the treatment and understanding in in mental illness oh yeah that, did that trigger you to do this work? What what brought yeah, what brought yeah. it to your plate? So I mean, I I was lucky in in my education because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen me in pictures with other people, but like I'm a pretty large person. I'm six foot seven. There was a time in my life like that served a purpose. I was a basketball player. That's what helped oh. me get into one of the most expensive prep schools for high school uh, on a full scholarship paid for my college and so like that helped expose me into things that i didn't that most people who grew up where i grew up didn't have access to um so for example like i didn't know what a therapist was or even knew that they existed until i was 18 years old and that's because my senior year at my prep school that i was at in, in connecticut we had the option to see the school therapist and I was like, what, what is this? Like, is this like the guidance counselor or whatever? I was like, no, it's a legit therapist. Thinking back on that, it, it definitely makes sense why like a year later when I went to undergrad, I decided that my major was going to be psychology. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, that's what I got my undergrad degree in. I double majored in music and psychology. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. So I've always had like a back. Yeah. I've always had a background in psychology and like understanding it. And I remember my senior year of college, uh, one of my, my thesis was on the overprescribing of America um, and uh, just thinking about uh, the amount of drugs that have been overprescribed, but also thinking about like the amount that the world is uh, struggling. Um, like one of, like, I can't remember the exact statistic, but I remember the statistic being something like, um, that told me that a majority of the world had some type of mental illness or disability or something that had to be addressed by a doctor more than yeah, it's majority, like, it, and that's it, just by the numbers that we can count yeah sorry to interrupt but it's about 30 percent people think yeah and and that's like just what that's just like what we count just coming to terms and understanding what, what i had i was like well maybe i'm not alone here and i think that that's what i kind of 
set out for and trying to understand the mind was like, maybe I'm not alone in feeling how I feel, especially just being exposed to mental health and, me- and mental illnesses at, at 18 years old. So it really set me on that journey. And wait a second, you're six, seven. So, yeah. so <laughs> you know, my son is almost six, three right now. And everywhere he goes, he's almost 15 years old. So he's pretty young. He, he can't go anywhere without somebody that like hasn't seen him in a while or even anybody where they make a comment on his on his size. And yeah, it's it's a little bizarre for him sometimes when that's the first thing that people say. But I wonder, is that something that you that you dealt with as a young black man? Is it matter that you were black? I mean, tell me about that. Oh, I think that it, it ties into a lot of things. I mean, even as a basketball player. Like I was, I was six seven, and I had a forty four inch vertical too. So I was essentially what they would call a freak athlete, <laughs> um, which was like really cool, and it sounded really cool when you were like eighteen and you're like a college basketball player or whatever. But like as like now that I'm older, I'm like this doesn't serve me as much. But it just showed me that I was like, I was like a spectacle. It was it definitely it definitely was just an interesting kind of thing to deal with. I think now now that I'm older and even growing up. It's more of a burden now. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I don't go out in public often. I, I don't go to protests often because I know that, like, if a police officer were to see me at a protest, like, I am a massive black dude. Um, and, like, having that in the back of my mind has always affected how I, how I made decisions in my life. Well, Cliff, I mean, I appreciate you saying that, you know, it's a, it's a real, it, it sounds like a blessing and a curse and the fact that it, it, it provided you some different I guess perspective and opportunity, but at the same time, I I'm really amazed with the uh, the multi talent of being on the basketball court. And Chuck and I talk about this on the podcast a lot on some of the folks that have this crossover with uh, with sports and uh, and how that's it's like that 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 rhythm that you have with your teammates and how you you shine, but also you got to like kind of work with others. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that you've had that. Um, growing up. I remember the exact moment when I realized I was a little different than my other basketball friends. It was like my freshman year of college or something. And I was like the like the freshman starter or whatever. And like so like I had this expectation and there was like a, some question or opportunity in the locker room or something where like I ended up just like trying to describe how I thought basketball was like dancing and how I was like understanding how it was like dancing. And it just did not translate. And like, <laughs> it ended up in like a bunch of like homophobic things. And I was just like, oh man, maybe I think about <laughs> completely different. But like, <laughs> good for like you. The the... And, and like, it is like, like the way you do it, like when you, when you're on, like when you're like really killing it in the game, like it's, it's all, it's literally a dance. And I think I now that I'm older, I can vocalize that more. <laughs> That's really interesting. I agree. That's it's a total dance. Uh, Cliff, let's talk about what are you finding joy in? I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot for that. Maybe you're not feeling any at all. Oh, I'm, I'm hoping you are. What are you feeling joy in right now? I just got to see one of my nieces for the first time. Uh, she's about 15 weeks old. I have a nephew I haven't seen yet. Um, I find joy in being able to like, like remember that I still have family and I still have like friends and people that like exist and care and like feel for me and I have that shared uh, struggle with me as well. I think that that's what I'm finding joy for sure. I'm also just finding joy and learning. Can you say that I'm again? I'm finding joy in learning because I think 
it could be really easy to be like in despair if you don't have all the answers. But I think not having the answers enables me to be like, well, maybe there's an answer out here. Maybe there's a solution. And and there's so much knowledge in the world. It's it's harder for me to say like the answer's not out there. It has to be out mm-hmm. there somewhere. Learning and and learning about how other people have conquered things like though even in even in Marvin Gaye's little victories and being able to put out what's going on like things like that have been like okay like like they had it like 10 times worse in terms of like how racism was avert back then and even like seeing like a drunk history episode on Sam Cooke the other day was like on how he wrote Chains Gonna Come was like oh okay this is like this is joy to be like <laughs> it, that that's what I'm finding joy for sure yeah I like how you say joy and learning because uh you mentioned it earlier on in this conversation about that there's not just it's not just about you know reading the textbooks in high school and college you know it's it's really lifelong it's really growth it's now what's because you brought yeah, up go my, ahead. Uh, you brought up the film Vitiligo, and that's one of the times where it was definitely one of my weakest points in my life um mm-hmm. and i think about like the learning i was doing now is similar to the learning i'm doing like in terms of how intensely i learned mm-hmm. but what i really invested myself in then was like I was intensely studying about horror. I was like watching every police video shooting that I could think of. I was, mm. and I was just really like like punishing myself um, in, in order to make these this content. And that, and that's what kind of birthed within it. I think within the last few months, I've been like obsessing over the complete opposite. And I, I learned about like like comedians who cross over into into horror almost seamlessly. And I kind of wanted to study like that other way around, like do horror filmmakers ever transfer into comedy so i've been like really studying comedy and like that's been like that's been bringing uh, me joy it's just it's like embedding myself in, into comedy and laughing but yeah that's where i'm at what about musically what about where are you finding joy in music oh uh yeah i mean i have like a massive list of, of all like i always make like uh i have like a few whiteboards that i fill up of all the people that i'm listening to when i'm working on new projects funk and like disco and like soul music really revisiting that stuff like uh i spent a lot of time working on frequencies album and i was in that funk disco phase but it was more serving to her project now that i feel like i'm more confident and i gave my voice and stuff i'm like what like what if i did like what if i jumped into this so i've been like really really jumping into that music and like there's so much joy and happiness mm-hmm. in that like you think about disco records like they were just trying to figure out how to make the records as long as possible so the party didn't stop and i'm like yeah that's that's an amazing thing cliff we've been talking for an hour i'd like to just see what um what what are your plans do you, have you thought about past have you thought about the summer have you thought about past the summer are you working on something specifically or is it kind of are you in a holding pattern what what's next for you plans hipstery has been like one of the main focuses for yeah. me um being able to like build continue to build that platform and use it for, for for good uh artistically for me personally i mean i'm i'm in create mode entirely but i know that there's an ep that'll be coming out eventually this summer just something small but i'm working on a few other like much larger projects which i'm really excited about um and have gotten some grant funding to like really build out so i'm lucky to be at the point where i'm like i have a few different projects that i'm just constantly working on at the same time and it's like whatever works first comes out next are you working on any film yeah 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 um 
I think folks are starting to understand like what, what I've been doing, why the wild things are. We put out the second video for that. The, the goal for that is to have a, a, a video for every every song on the album. Um, we have a few of those done. And we have a few films that are in production out in LA. We have one of our first short films that we've been holding on to for like a year now, which is finally going to production now. Uh, we're able to do that safely. We've been able to like coordinate that to like really minimize things. Um, but I think folks who have been watching my films most recently have been really focusing on like minimalism. Like, but yeah, that's a few different films, a few different albums and EPs, working on other people's uh, albums and EPs. I know Tim and I are working on our dual project right now uh, as Hall and Notes. As nice. what is that? We call ourselves Hall and Notes. Like Hall notes. And Hall Notes, but if you spell it. it out, it's Hall and <laughs> Is he is he Tim Hall? We were so excited when we figured Yeah, he's Tim Hall. Hall and Notes, man. Notes. That's great. Cliff, uh, all, all you're, you're a really interesting guy and I and I love how you've got your you've you've got your foot in, into a lot of different things. And um and it's it's it always fascinates me when somebody does music and theater and and film and like kind of dabbles in sculpture and a lot of different things like that. So I, I love I love your message, the message out and, and everything you're doing. I, this is a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate you giving giving us your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you both. I know you're real. It's the last fucking time. I know. I know. I know. I swear. I know. I know. What you're Okay. Now is my brother still my brother? If my brother lost his brain, tell me if we should still trust each other. If we all go insane. I'm in a range. The scope of my identity ain't nothing like a friend of me. It's just what I pretend to be. I just know I got some enemies. I feel the pain resenting me. And a rapper ain't a rapper unless he rhyming about some substance. I mean, I'm 26 and still alive. Shit. Man, it must amount to something. I'm still lying, blind about the fact that these men still crying. My future lies in sign. This is what the scripture told us when the school system still owed us. Government try to control us. We all hated on gold us. We ain't know they can show us without ever really knowing us. I mean, I hope that I look in the mirror and still hope to see the oldest. And my brother still my brother if my brother ain't the same. We got the same strain. We just fix on different pain. So I woke up in the morning, yet another brother slain Still I gotta go to work, but I'll never know the pain When I know it's lost some color, I can't look at them the same And I don't really know how to feel I know this preaching shit is kinda real But my niggas back home said so they ready to kill And that, what about my students? What am I gonna do if they become a victim of these shootings? They can catch him on the stupid while he outside hoping Some days I feel like Malcolm, some days I feel like Martin some days I feel like chilling, some days I feel like starting Some days I feel like peace, chicken grease And kinda like an undeserved lease And no, I'm never at a ease to evil And don't let the media deceive you And no, if you ain't got a single soul for the white right, right price Anyone will believe you Ladies and gentlemen, this is going on the 
If you're feeling pissed off, scream out, fuck the system They can make us feel blue, but never take our rhythm If you're feeling pissed off, scream out, fuck the system They can make us feel blue, but never take our rhythm Thank Cliff for talking with us. You can see what he does at cliffnotes.com. That is notes with a Z. And purchase his music wherever fine music is sold. And as always, you can go to abovethebasement.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. From all of us at Above the Basement, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, wear a mask, and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. <laughs>